Primary Care Knowledge Boost, Community Optometry Explained. Hello and welcome to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. We hope you're all keeping well. Today we're speaking to Damesh Patel, who is an optometrist by trade and then does a lot of leadership roles, as he'll explain. And we're learning all about optometry services in primary care. Yes, um, Damesh, um, I think, speaks really eloquently about um, the importance of optometry um, and um, particularly the importance of it in the community and working alongside primary care and um, all of the initiatives that are taking place in Greater Manchester um, and a little bit more widely as well um, to try and help integrate the two and take the pressure off primary care um, and direct services into um, optometry instead. Yeah, it's a great episode for anyone who wants to understand how the services work and fit in, as you've as you said, Lisa. And it's also really good for a few pointers as well in terms of how to navigate the system. So we hope you enjoy. So I'm Dharmesh Patel. Uh, I'm an optometrist by background and currently chief executive of Primary Eye Care Services, uh, an optometry uh, federation slash provider collaborative. Um, I also chair the Greater Manchester Primary Care Provider Board and the Optometry Provider Board. Oh, so many qualifications. Fantastic. <laughs> um, so yes, very, very qualified um, to talk to us today. Um, and thank you for, for making the time amongst all of that, to be fair, to come and talk to us about um, opticians and their role in the community. So we thought we'd just start with a big, big question of um, what do you think are the main points that GPs and other community clinicians uh, might need to be more aware of when it comes to opticians and optometry? Very good question. And um, I'll try and be concise. Um, I think the key here is um, that optometry plays a really key part of primary care. It's one of the four core core pillars uh, alongside general practice, community pharmacy and dentistry, and they provide more care and services than is known to to, to a lot of patients, healthcare professionals, and, and including general practice and, and the rest of primary care. Um, we've got the key aspects of the services they deliver, both the core national contract um, around site testing services, which is the one that everybody knows a bit more about. Um, lots of patients are accessible, uh, are able to access NHS funded site tests. Um, there's about 13 plus million site tests a year um, through that core primary care contract. Um, but actually, that is just one part of what they do. And there's lots more they do, um, uh, particularly under locally commissioned services, whether that's minor and urgent care, uh, whether that's um, other support for other care pathways, which no doubt we'll get into in more detail. And, and I think for me, what's really important is to recognise that optometry is there. We can utilise them to their fuller extent than they are currently utilised. Um, and we're really lucky in Greater Manchester that that's been recognised by NHS commissioners, but also general practice and other colleagues across the system. Um, and actually, we have a, a really good suite of uh, local commission services which are being utilised. Um, and whilst we can continue to improve on that, that's it's really a positive for the local system and benefiting general practice, A&E, hospital eye departments, and, and ultimately our patients. Um, and the context of that is that ophthalmology is the number one cause of attendance at hospitals in this country for outpatients. And um, and actually that and the, the, the challenge with the waiting lists and the backlogs that ophthalmology presents in the system is massive, leading to potential delays, which can lead to sight loss ultimately. Mm. And the impact that then has on individuals, social care, independence, health, the list goes on. Um, so I think um, 
optometry is quite uniquely placed uh, alongside maybe dentistry, for example, where we have a direct relationship between a primary care professional and a subspecialty specific area like ophthalmology. So actually making sure that process of referral is streamlined, that we manage the, the, the demand in hospital is really important, as well as supporting the urgency and emergency care system that causes challenges for general practice and A&E uh, alongside that. And I think um, I think the key here is is that beyond the the National Commission Service for the core primary care contracts, um, we're really lucky here in GM, as I mentioned, that we've got the minor and urgent care service, which is called Qs, a uh, COVID right. urgent eye care service, um, and that is supporting patients um, tremendously uh, across Greater Manchester with I think over forty five thousand patient episodes a year now um, across. 200 of our 300 practices who participate in that so actually supporting patients on a daily basis including referrals from general practice as you might expect um, and hopefully supporting general practice but also A&E and hospital urgent and emergency clinics mm. in terms of the demand that they get on, uh, from patients every day whether that's with red eyes or flashes on floaters or sudden loss of vision um, and actually dealing with those in a, an appropriate manner according to the urgency that they, they, they essentially require and I think thinking about it from your, your point of the of your question specifically, um, what do we want people to be aware of in general practice when it comes to this? Actually, is it, it, there's some key bits when it comes to services like you know queues and it and it's that it's not a walk-in service. Okay, you know we want people to call ahead. Yeah. Uh, whilst it's a really great accessible service and we've got long hours, lots of spread, evenings, weekend coverage, but it isn't necessarily a walk-in service. And we do need people to go through the screening process and we want people to be encouraged to call ahead. Um, uh, so and that makes a big difference. But actually, what we really want is to help general practice and any particularly. So we want them to be patients to be deflected before seeing the clinician so actually yeah. uh, whilst it's it's great that we get lots of deflections from gps in the consulting room actually we'd rather get deflected before they reach the gp in the first place and um, whether that's at the front of house at general practice or whether that's through behavior change uh, with, with with the population itself and in greater manchester we had the get to know where to go campaign you might recall um, at the end, back end of the winter and earlier this year, and the the community urgent eye care service was was one of the services that was part of that campaign to raise that public awareness. So we try and get people accessing that directly, um, and it's actually really easy for patients to access because they can go onto the website and find a practice. There's a tool they put in the postcode. It tells them the closest practices that are participating, and they can contact the practice. Um, mm -hmm. So it's really easy to access. Um, so I think that's what what would be really key. And and I think in terms of the the queue service, whilst we're talking about that i think for gps is to watch out for any requests that come you know uh, we know general practice is very busy uh, but you will get some prescribing requests and and there's some work that we're doing with pharmacy and in how we can streamline that process further because we do have whilst we've got the community urgent eye care service across greater manchester there is some variation in the prescribing arrangements around that um service um based on the locality or borough you're in in greater manchester yeah it's about a 50 50 split in terms of the arrangements and so there's some work going on exploring the best route to streamlining that um so patients aren't having to go from here to here to here around the system to get the the medications they need after the service they've had which has hopefully dealt with most of their cases and and 80 percent of patients are wholly managed within the service so actually very few need to go on to referral um uh, to ophthalmology for example um i think the other the other one of a particular point is optometry will get lots of referrals for headaches that's quite a common one isn't it from from yes. from general practice yeah. i'm sending um I mean, you're gonna send you've got a patient complaining of headaches i'm gonna send them to for uh, uh to, to optometry and i think the key there is that headaches isn't necessarily necessarily a um 
an urgent eye condition necessarily so not necessarily appropriate for the queue service but might be appropriate for a sight test and that's perfectly fair and reasonable and they can go for a sight test but it might mean that it's not necessarily funded in the nhs so patients may end up having to pay for their sight test or they may be eligible for an NHS sight test. So and I think it's an awareness generally that when you're referring patients for headache related reasons to to optometry, uh, a local practice, um, that it might not necessarily be an NHS funded service for some people, whilst it will be for others. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and as you you know, the amount of headache presentations are substantive, aren't they? Both in general practice, we get them in optometry a lot. Um, And yes, they need their visual fields checking. We need to check their retinas um, and all the other associated tests. But actually um, making sure it's the most appropriately commissioned service is is the other challenge for us as as a provider, essentially, group uh, um, uh, to make sure that we use the appropriate service for that patient. This is a left-field question. Yeah, go ahead. Um, But just what... um, what means that you're eligible for an eye test? So if we do say someone, we just want to make sure that your retinas look okay, that you don't have any signs of in raised intracranial pressure, but obviously in more layman's terms, what? how do we know if they're like, oh no, I'd have to pay for it? How would we know? Like, actually, no, you don't have to, because la. <laughs> so it's it's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because, you know, not everybody's eligible for a free NHS sight yeah. test, essentially. Yeah. Um, it's people over 60, okay. people under 16, those in full-time education, uh, and those on certain benefits. Okay. There's also a cohort of patients who are maybe slightly higher risk, uh, patients with a family history of glaucoma and over 40. Okay. There is a list that's available on the NHS UK website, and um, it's it captures usually the young and the elderly and those at the greatest risk. Okay. And then for others, they have to pay for a, a sight test. Um, uh, whilst they're still eligible, of course, for any urgent and emergency type presentations through the Cubes type service yeah. uh, directly. That sight test is for when you present into an opticians on the high street or, or optical practice or optometrist. And, um, but actually there is also a domiciliary service for those patients who are housebound. Um, there is the domiciliary sight test service. Um, so those patients can access uh, by those practices and providers who, who provide the house bounce on service. Same eligibility criteria, um, with, with additional processes around that. Amazing. I didn't know that. <laughs> no, I didn't know that either, actually. Um, and my question was just um, around the sight test, another basic question. Um, but what is normally included in the basic sight test um, that people can have for free? Yeah, so it's a very good question, isn't it? So the sight test has evolved, as you might imagine, over the last 40 years, substantively. I, I won't go on my high horse around the funding arrangements around it. So um, and what's what's funded and what's not funded. But the, the basic sight test involves an internal external examination of the eye and refraction for any correction of refractive error that the patient may have. Um, so there's three core components. So usually um, checking your vision and any spectacle refractive error you may have. Uh, an examination of the, in- of the eye using a slit lamp, ophthalmoscope or Volk lens um, and that makes up the core components usually uh, depending on the patient's profile they may have their intraocular pressures checked they may have their visual fields checked and they may have other uh, additional diagnostic or, or supplementary tests that, that the optometrist feels is appropriate for that particular individual um, and there may be other supplementary tests that might be available for those people at additional cost potentially um, whether that's photography or scanning or whatever it may be that may help support the care of that particular individual that makes sense thank you uh, so we're vaguely aware well no in fact we're more aware of urgent eye care services because you mentioned about cues um, and then you've also mentioned about minor eye conditions there's lots of different kind of pockets essentially and it can be quite 
confusing to people who aren't aware so would you mind explaining the overall service and where those schemes fit in yeah so actually um Actually, I, I think it's easy for me to say, but I think commissioning in optometry is relatively straightforward. It might not be what we want, but it, it's straightforward. We've got the nationally commissioned sight test service and we have locally commissioned services okay. um, uh, uh, beyond that. Um, uh, whilst we want greater consistency and harmonisation of those, we do have a variation in what's commissioned from area to area. And that poses lots of challenges when you don't have a registered population um, the way we do. So patients may move, they may go where they, they work, they may yeah. go where their parents are looked after. Um, so unfortunately, the cross-border issue is a massive issue for us um, based on variation of service that's a commission we are very fortunate however in Greater Manchester that actually we do have some consistency across Greater Manchester so actually here we have the we used to have the minor eye condition service in parts of Greater Manchester but post the pandemic we've had the community urgent eye care service and that's our consistent service across Greater Manchester um, and and that is this this ability to support people with their minor or urgent eye problems um, in in presentation, and they're seen within quite a timely manner uh, once they present to practice. Um, the other services are slightly. Um, historic versions of that or, or a combination of other services. The other locally commissioned services tend to be focused around referral filtering. So patients who are found to have suspicious factors or findings related to glaucoma or cataracts, those patients may have further assessments um, under locally commissioned services, which allow them to, to be assessed whether they need referral or not. And if they do need referral, do they want surgery or not? So that those are additional elements that have been put in place. And, and actually we have an array of these in Greater Manchester. They're not quite as consistent as our as our community urgent eye care service um but work's going on to to, to achieve that here um, but that, that that forms a suite of locally commissioned services all with the objective of either preventing a patient needing to be referred into hospital eye service um, or supporting patients once they've been discharged out of hospital like post cataract follow-up services for example so we do we do a fair amount of follow-ups for cataract surgery in greater manchester um and and that obviously means they don't need to go back into hospital they're all up and they can have their follow-up out in, in primary care where they can have their spectacle uh, refractive error also assessed at the same time yeah brilliant i'm kind of thinking of a couple of things but i'll i'll ask this one and then i'll we'll see where we get <laughs> it's just um it's, it's just so many different people and so many different ways of filtering it can be confusing in in general practice um particularly the eye care service the primary care one where you said that you put in your postcode i can't remember that the fi uh, find a practice tool yeah the find a practice tool is brilliant yeah it? so i think you know with the q service it, it's evolved out of the pandemic um and what was a covid provision into something much more substantive thereafter um and evolved from previous versions as well and and it's an innovation we've tried to put in to help patients get to where they need to get to frankly um and when you have as many locations as uh, as we have so 200 practices um across greater manchester who, who, who are involved in the service um and we want people to be able to go where they want to go as closest to their home as they possibly can or wherever they wish to um whether that's where they shop or whether that's where they care for so um what they're able to do is put their postcode in uh, to the tool online and it and it gives them a list of practices um, and there's a map as well and opening times and all the other information that goes there so try to make it as easy as possible uh, for people and other people who are pointing to patients to, to to try and you know general practice another place to say actually this is where you can go to to find out you know where which practices are involved and uh, and a participate in the service quite often in local areas, local GP practices tend to know their local practices who are participating and, and quite often will also say, um, these are the local ones that we know are involved and, and you can contact them. I know um, my, my own practice in, in Stockport um, and the local GP practices, they all know that our practice and a few of the other practices are involved um, because they do work as a network of practices. So whilst there's 200 practices, um, 
if one practice is, is not able to see somebody, they will contact another practice nearby to make sure they can get seen. So they work as a network of practices um, uh, in a hopefully in a, in a collaborative way so the patient gets the care they need without being delayed um, unnecessarily effectively. And actually, Sarah, before you ask that question, uh, I am going to chip in and just ask, um, I'm guessing you said about the 200 practices that are in um, Greater Manchester. I'm assuming, is it a voluntary um, scheme that people, can sign up to? Yeah, so we've got about 300 um, optometry practices in Greater Manchester in total um, and just over 200 uh, participate in the queues type service. That's a mixture of big chains, um, independent practices, um, small groups. Um, it's, it's a whole array of practices. Um, so actually, there's a good mixture there and based in city centres and some of those are out uh, in, the, in the smaller parts of peripheral sides of, of Greater Manchester and the less metropolitan parts. Yeah, um, my favourite question we're going to ask you, any top tips for clinicians in primary care? So I suspect you sitting on this side of the primary care spectrum of things there's probably things that you see gps doing a lot that it's like we have to constantly have to try and educate or try and explain that no things don't work that way so there come common bugbears or gaps in our knowledge that you encounter that you could try and <laughs> help us with that would help our lives as well <laughs> it's a good question isn't it you know um and, and it's very easy isn't it to, to, to point fingers isn't it but actually you know i think you're right it's about awareness about what the other person does or what how, how you should or shouldn't manage a particular case yes. yeah. I, I think if a lot for the uh, red eyes and the associated eyes whether it's painful eyes or irritable eyes or, or, or the whole array of list of those types of symptoms that patients present with. Um, I think um, I would argue, and I think a lot of optometrists would argue, we're a bit too quick to, to treat with chloramphenicol antibiotics. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I think that what we would say is, it's a quick, easy solution, but actually it's quite often not the solution to the underlying condition. Yeah. Um, it quite often, you know, it, it solves the patient's immediate um, uh, perceptual asks uh, when actually quite often it's not actually an infection. Actually, uh, it turns out in a lot of these cases, it's it's much more substantive um, dry eye, actually, with underlying uh, lid disease um, uh, that needs to be treated. Um, and unless you treat that, it will come back again and again and again and again so um, while sometimes it feels like we're, we're solving the problem immediately actually we don't the patient will just continue to represent again and again and again mm -hmm. so I suppose um, it's easy for me to say I'd say actually um, there are many of those cases where actually you, you do want to send them on to, to optometrists who can use a select lamp effectively um, and go actually what is the underlying cause um, uh, if the initial treatments and the initial approaches hasn't worked um, and to try and utilise the expertise so that would be my, my, my big one for specifically I think it's particularly critical. Yeah. I think the other one is is um, the one you mentioned earlier uh, about interocular pressures. Yes. Um, and, a, and a little slip of paper. It doesn't happen as often now as, as it used to before, but a little slip of paper. Um, can you please check the interocular pressures? Um, it still does happen, actually. And um, uh, I can tell you it... Um, it exercises um, our optometry colleagues at times because... There is no infrastructure whereby you can just request the one diagnostic. It doesn't work like that, as you can, as you know yourselves. Um, it's a site test or it's a commission service. Um, so um, there has to be the whole shebang, effectively, um, uh, as an array of tests. And actually, intraocular pressure on their own don't always tell you very much, as you know. They're just one of many, many aspects. But I, we appreciate that. That's a, a challenge when GPs want to add that into the mix of the other things mm. that they know about a patient. So yeah. I, I would suggest um, in that scenario that there's a, a request for a site test rather than a, can you just do IOPs, um, which tends to be the one that you occasionally get. Mm. 
Is that mm. people worried about glaucoma? Is that why you get asked that? Um, so I, I think there are a variety of reasons um, uh, uh, why we get such presentations. <laughs> it, you know, it can it can be glaucoma, um, albeit. It's not. T- it doesn't tend to be the top of a GP's mind when they're, they're dealing with patients. Quite often, it's someone whether it's with headaches or someone they've uh, had lots of other issues and problems. And they want to check if their intraocular pressures are fine, whether it's thyroid eye disease um, or, or underlying thyroid problem. Um, so there's lots of different reasons why a GP might ask for intraocular yeah. pressures, and and they, you know they're quite often very valid. But um, the idea of just doing IOPs is is the bit that um, uh, uh, people struggle with slightly. <laughs> Yeah, um, my preoccupation is the discs. Yeah, Make, n- not missing cupping. Yeah, thing in medical school, school, you were vaguely taught, and I was uh, examining an OSCE recently, and a lot of people trying to struggling, trying to look and like, is it cupped? Is it not? And it, yeah, in real life, it's just very difficult for. Well, I think I think that's where the challenge comes in, isn't it? Um, and 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 you know what it's like uh, when you're trying to maintain skills, yeah. and unless you do something a lot. It's really challenging yeah. to, to remain good at it. Um, and an ophthalmoscopy and retinoscopy are, are those skills, you know. Um, uh, it's very often, um, you'll, we'll see it as optometrists, we'll see certain doctors, you know, using ophthalmoscopy and the distance from the eye they're, they're away from is quite substantive. Yeah. And the view isn't particularly good at that distance unless you're really right. Um, really very quite close yeah. um, the view is quite quite limited and, and in fact more and more so optometrists um, using slit lamps tend to use indirect methods of ophthalmoscopy mm. um, to look at the back of the eye uh, which gives you the depth uh, that you want to see um, so a better way of analysing the, the disc um, uh, itself whether that's considering uh, whether there's swelling or whether there is cupping or whatever it may be yeah. so you know um, again easy for me to say but actually better they're, they're seen and, and assessed fully but there's managing demand in there too yeah but yeah def- definitely worth it um the other thing i might ask you if you don't mind um is like just an example of how you'd effectively use one of the services so say like we had a patient who came in and they had they asked for chloramphenicol it's quite common oh i've got got the same eye problem again doctor it's it's red again it's a little bit sore there's actually when you examine it there's no discharge at all just it's it's just the sclera that looks red. The pupil's fine. The iris is fine. The vision's okay. There's nothing else to find on sort of the fields are okay. Um, but then you're just not not quite sure. Is this sort of a scleritis or what's going on? This looks like an itis of some kind. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the temptation is to hit some chlor- chloramphenicol, go and see an optician. But yeah. yeah, what would you say? How do you manage that? Yeah, so it, it's a really good question. So my, 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 my preference would be is that the patient is deflected to the queue service in that yeah. scenario so actually is contact the participating practice um, not necessarily the GP themselves but direct the patient to contact that practice they'll be screened they, what they do is they go through a set of uh, screening questions which determines the urgency and appropriateness of, uh, of that patient into the service um, and then either they'll have uh, a telemedicine consultation um, first before they have a face or they'll go straight to a face to face consultation based on the urgency whether it's the same day or whether it's the next day or um, uh, effectively based on, on urgency and, and then they'll they'll get assessed and examined um, and then they'll be able to go okay this is what we think the underlying condition is this is the treatment plan or actually we need to refer you up to the hospital for whatever reason um, you know and, and actually we're really lucky now we've got um, a network of independent prescriber optometrists as part of that network within those cues practices um, 
they're still growing in number um, so there's still still um, a small number of practices um, that are doing that but actually they're able to to manage even more complex conditions than the, than, than the non-independent prescribers so so actually um, they can manage them pretty effectively in that scenario and then you should get an update back as the JP um, in your records to say actually this is what we found this was the outcome uh, and we've dealt with it or can you also add this onto a repeat prescription or whatever it may be uh, and I think that would be the best approach especially for those type of recurring patients um, I would argue Considering the pressures on general practice now, uh, I would argue that actually front of house staff ideally would would be redirecting that patient in the first place, so it never gets to the point that it, the patient sat down in front of you as the GP. Um, it's when you've got lots of other patients that really need your time and care and attention um, when these can be managed elsewhere. So that that would be my my gut instinct generally, um, uh, slightly biased as you can imagine. But but I think um, it's probably it's as always it's about getting the right person in front of the right. A right clinician at the right time and right place, isn't it? And I, and I think it just goes back to that old um, edict, really. And I think if we can do that better, we'll find we'll manage that demand uh, in a more effective way. Yeah. And just on the just on the flip side of that, if um, all of the front of house staff in Greater Manchester tomorrow decide that they're deflecting all of the the eye problems to the Q service, what's the capacity like to be able to deal with that? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, and actually, um, we were, I was just talking earlier, um, uh, and actually, we're quite lucky that we've got a large number of practices in Greater Manchester, um, and they, they're open at different times. So capacity generally tends to be good. We actually have really good GP deflection to the service already. Yeah. Um, it makes up a more than a third of patients seen are deflected from general practice. Um, so I, I would say most GP practices are already pretty well engaged with this, and um, it's how we continue to maximise that um, and enhance that to also happen at A&E and, and but actually hopefully get to a point where the patient knows that that's the service they go to before they go to general practice so you don't get the the ATM calls um, uh, about a red eye as much as, as, as you have in the past so also capacity okay. is good um, you know as ever there are pinch points um, uh, but that's where we try to get practices to work as a as a network of practices so if the, if I you know if my practice can't support a patient today actually we're working with a number of other practices around the area to, to be able to call them and say can you see a patient um, who needs to be seen quicker than we can see them so actually they do work really well together um, so actually the, the, the capacity tends to be pretty good you know I, I was saying earlier that's very much dependent on geography we're quite lucky in greater much of the capacity is there but there will be other parts of the country where that capacity will be more challenged depending on workforce and um, and estates and other and other and other challenges my final one before we ask you learning points um but it, it's beyond the scope of our chat today to sort of go through what's appropriate for like urgent on the day on the day emergency eye problems but is there anywhere that you direct people to to just look at right remind ourselves of the red flags for you know worried about on the day ophthalmology type assessments it's a good question, actually, and um, I'd, have to, I'd have to speak to colleagues about the, the best resources are available these days. There are some NHS resources you can have a look at, but I, I would say if someone's got really bad light sensitivity, a really painful eye, and they've got uh, any other kind of general health conditions, then that you know you, you, you're in pretty serious territory. Um, those patients are usually really barn door obvious emergencies, and you need to be speaking to the urgent and emergency department at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they're also well engaged with the primary care 
care service. So they'll actually go, actually, uh, you can, you can send this to queues. Actually, we're, you know, this will be okay there. So a conversation with them, there's no harm. Um, if you're in doubt, you can call the local practice as well and they, they would also help. Um, but I, I would say, you know, anybody with any sort of general health impacts, uh, that substantive, you know, nausea, et cetera, obviously they're all, all seriously important to go up to the hospital. Um, but if you've got someone with severe painful eye to the point where it's making them ill, that's pretty uh, emergency. Most of the other eye conditions, you know, um, the other obvious ones are things like chemical burns and those types of things, which, you know, we would absolutely be saying, please don't send them to, to the queue service, yeah. send them to, to any or to the, or, or to the emergency eye department. Um, but actually a lot of the other ones, you know, foreign bodies, you know, are treated within the queue service. We, you know, um, a, a big number of the patients that we see remove foreign bodies um, uh, and, and then those that can't be managed can be sent up to the hospital. So it, it's that effective management. Um, uh, so it's a lot more than we think. Um, and, and as ever that complex case mix uh, case mix and, and acuity management is the tough bit isn't it what do, has, can go and stay into primary and community and what needs to go up to the hospital um, and, and I would suggest if in doubt contact the service and the, and the practice and, they'll, they, and they will guide you um, as ever the problem is, is that you don't treat people don't present with conditions they present with symptoms um, and and Patient symptoms are always direct proportional to the to the underlying problem, and and, and general practice is very familiar with this more than anybody else. But actually, it's exactly the same for eyes. Um, and somebody having really quite painful eyes uh, that's light sensitive can be as much dry eyes, severe dry eyes, as it could be a uveitis. Um, and and this is where that differential diagnosis is really really tough without seeing the patient on a slit lamp or or having a detailed conversation about all the symptoms, the length of symptoms, where the the whole array of history and symptoms that need to be carried out. So I would say if in doubt, I'd contact the Q service. And it's particularly pertinent as we support, you know, hospitals as much as we possibly can with the current demand, which is um, is high to say the least. I suppose the other service which I haven't touched on, which I, I did I say I, I would mention about earlier, was the Easy Eye Care pathway, um, which you may or may not be familiar with, but it's the pathway to support patients with learning disabilities and autism. Um, and it's particularly pertinent because patients with learning disabilities are about 10 times more likely to have a problem with their eyes than, than patients without. Um, and obviously general practice carry out the annual health checks uh, under the DES arrangements now. And in fact, as part of that, there's a question about, well, you know, have you had your sight test in, uh, in the last uh, period of time or, or accordingly? Um, and actually in Greater Manchester, we have a commission service um, for patients to go to a practice that's had additional training that can adapt the site test, have pre-visits if necessary, um, and get familiar in that environment effectively. And it's called the Easy Eye Care Pathway. And we've just recently um, relaunched it with a single point of access to make it easier for general practice and carers to send the patients to that service. And so I'd encourage GPs when they're doing the annual health checks with people with disabilities actually to, to really um, make sure they're aware of that. There'll be further communications in Greater Manchester about the pathway um, for, for general practice. The point of access will support the patient to get the care they need um, and support these people to be as independent and, uh, and as effective as they possibly can. So I thought I'd highlight that one as well because uh, it's one that's less talked about, less known about, but actually can have massive um, impacts on those individuals. Yeah, that's a great service. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, so I guess we're hopefully at the point of um, summing up. I think we've exhausted our questions too, Tarmesh. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Threw so many curveballs in. <laughs> No, it's all right. And, and you know what? There's so many topics um, you, I, I, we could talk about, you know, literally know. you could carry on and on. <laughs> and I just remembered one, which I will mention because, uh, you know, I did forget to say, you know, historically GPs have dealt with 
optometry referrals. As you know, you were the gatekeeper of all optometry referrals into hospital. Um, and as you'll be aware in Greater Manchester, along with a, a number of other areas, there's been the um, EERS programme, which event- effectively bypasses the GP and the referrals go straight to the hospital. favourite thing is <laughs> getting those in my letters saying, oh God, I've got all these letters. And then some of them just turn out, I've, don't worry, I've referred them. Like, <laughs> don't need to do anything. And, 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 that's, and I think I just wanted to flag that one because actually, you know, more than 55,000 and referrals were sent through that method last last oh. year and, and I'm hoping they didn't touch GPs um, uh, hopefully a note to say this is for your information yeah. um, but actually it is, is, it's had a, I'm hoping it's had a massive impact um, uh, in terms of supporting general practice but we know it's been greater for, for optometry and the hospitalised service and that direct relationship as well so I, I thought I'd just flag that because that was quite a, a key development yeah. here in Greater Manchester yeah. we were one of the early adopters in England for it it's worth noting that yeah. as a hopefully something that's benefited general practice <laughs> absolutely you know we Celebrate take the wins them. where we can get them absolutely <laughs> Brilliant, yeah. um and just finally then Dermesh, what um learning points do you want our listeners to take away from the chat we've had today um i, I would say to recognize optometry as a key pillar of primary care they're there you know they're part of that primary care family and um, they're there to support and, and help yes um we, we will continue to have the discussion around effective commissioning of services um and make sure that's done in a consistent and harmonized way across greater manchester and across the country but actually that they're there they're able to deliver a lot more than we realize you know um they spend longer with patients than probably any other clinician in primary care if you think about an average site tests you know 30 40 minutes and they learn lots about the patients mm. you know and um and i work closely as you know with other elements of primary care to say how wider primary care can really start to support patients support demand on general practice in a different way so i think to think about it holistically uh, and, and utilize optometrists of their full potential um and and you know these services are here so utilize them they've been commissioned we're, we're really lucky in greater manchester that, that actually the systems recognize that um so utilize it to benefit general practice and and the system at large and um and and actually also if if there are things that aren't working to raise them because actually together we can find solutions to those challenges whether it's a process or whether it's a clinical matter or whether it's something else and they can contact through the optometry provider board or, or the local optical committees and we can solve those issues if, if they're local and I, and I must admit we've I've spoken with GPs across Greater Manchester saying actually there's been a problem with seeing a child over there or actually the prescribing doesn't work over here or whatever it might be so I think an open door to say actually to, to help streamline things and make things easier. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been no worries. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> Hello, Sarah. Now that it is us a little bit later on after talking to um, Darmesh and you've travelled through the sticks of Manchester to get back home because you're now recording in person, which is very exciting. Um, uh, what were your learning points from the chat? Um, oh, it's lovely to actually go there and, and meet face to face and um, have a really good conversation. It was, yeah, I, I just, I think we were just saying before we actually turned on the mics, um, how much we learned in terms of we didn't really understand the services at all or how they're set up and uh, just appreciating how it's all working and how it's all fitting together. And like he was saying, that he's sort of focused some of the talk today on some of the urgent eye care services as well so I thought that was really nice linking in with that and then those conversations about how to navigate those particular patients I found quite useful as well. Yeah definitely Um, like you said I didn't quite appreciate um, the amount of that was an offer 
um, in yeah. optometry. I think it was also quite useful for him to clear up about um, the site testing, um, who's eligible, and the fact that some people might have to pay when they're sent through there. That probably was quite yeah. important to get across, actually, to be fair. It, it felt like something I just hadn't appreciated. I was like, oh, I, I feel a bit dumb asking no. this question, but actually I really don't know. So if I don't know, other people listening won't know. Some of them won't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I think it was important to cover. Um, and I think just also the fact that I feel quite bad as well, that I don't think I quite appreciated optometry as part of, of the primary care services and the mm. primary care family in a way. Um, I think I almost consider it a business um, more so than I did with community pharmacy um, and yeah. it feels like it's on the high street it's where people go to buy glasses you don't quite think about all the other things that they offer and all the medical and clinical work that they do um, so I think it was just really good for Dermish to be able to highlight that and you could see how they could take pressure off um, some of the work that um, general practice at A&E is doing um, yeah. so yeah I thought that was really good. Yeah it was it was it's really interesting how just the streamlining of services and um, getting that message out there that I wasn't massively aware of the campaign they had the get to know where to go um, but that you know that that people can go and see opticians can get referred into ophthalmology if they need to. And if not, they can get loads of stuff started. Like we're saying foreign bodies, I, I wouldn't have thought they would have been able to do all of that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's that message of, of kind of signposting and how to signpost. Yeah. Be, I'll have that list up of kind of, you know, if, if it, people do come back and say, I don't want to go, or sometimes when they've come in and you are a bit worried and it's like, have, have you had your, your eyes checked? And they might not, you know, they might not have. And it's just seeing, trying to help them navigate it as well can be really useful. Yeah. Just a really interesting um, episode for us to do. Um, so if you want to get in touch you can do in all the usual ways which we'll put in the episode description and if you want to tell a friend um, share us like subscribe um, that really helps to get the message out because um, we like to share um, all of these lovely bits of knowledge and teaching and learning that um, we're getting from all these great people till next time on primary care knowledge boost This podcast has been able to continue to date due to the support of GP Excellence, Wigan Borough CCG, Greater Manchester Training Hub and the GP Fellowship Programme, as well as Greater Manchester Health and Social Care Partnership. Just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public. They were recorded in Greater Manchester in 2022. Guidelines can vary by location as well as over time, so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before you make any treatment decisions. The content is based on our interviewee's opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast. Check out the episode description for full details and any links that we've mentioned in the episode.